Fun. And today uh, we got a special guest, uh, Guillermo Tlacayotzin from the Chicano Mexicano Resistance. And um, Guillermo, uh, welcome to Free Aslan. Yes, gre greetings, good evening. Thank you uh, for the invitation to be able to share your airwaves here on uh, Poor People's Radio, on uh, Free Aslan. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I just I, I want to start off, of course, with uh, brief news of behind enemy lines. You know, of course, we're all behind enemy lines here on, in uh, these false U.S. borders. But, you know, I want to talk about the prisons and, you know, the, you know, situation where they're continuing to, uh, you know, have these gladiator fights and continue to uh, put our friends, family, and our loved ones, um, you know, in, in harm's way and, um, you know, endanger um, our people's lives uh, behind the walls. And they're doing these gladiator fights. And so families, friends, supporters, and, um, you know, the prison movement in general are mobilizing in order to um, combat uh, these attacks on our people. And, you know, these are ways that they've been doing for, you know, since prison's been around. They've been manipulating other prisoners to uh, target, harm, and assassinate those who uh, remain thorns in their sides, those who resist the state, and, you know, they continue to, to do this uh, to our people. So, you know, we're never going to stop struggling, uh, no matter if we're on this side of the prison wall, doesn't matter, we're going to continue to resist the state, uh, because the state uh, is... You know, it, it is what it is. It's a terrorist entity, you know, and there's not, no other way I can call it. It's a terrorist organization. And so, you know, and, and they manifest their aggressive, uh, their aggression on our people in many different ways. Prison is one of them. And, um, and we'll never forget um, our brothers and sisters behind prison walls. Continue to speak for them, continue to struggle uh, because they're struggling against the state, and uh, we share the same enemy. Yeah, let so, me just pick it up real quick, we'll see if you don't mind. Absolutely. I sent you an email. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. But the state of California, I'm sure you, you're familiar with the um, peace accords to, the, the, to end hostilities north and south in the, here. Well, recently, CDC, the California Department of Corrections, mm -hmm. is retaliating against one of the prime mm. movers, one of the prime authors of mm. uh, that uh, agreement. And they've, they've been you know, messing with him in, in behind the walls, and they've been putting him in isolation and stuff. And he mm. just sent out an alert saying, hey, they're still trying to jack me up. And this is in retaliation for the work that w we had been doing to promote peace amongst the different sectors of the incarcerated class, if you will. I mm -hmm. just wanted to drop that. I don't know if you had a chance to read that. Yeah, I, I did read it. It was a horrific story horrific story of um them basically uh the, the the when i say them the pigs the guards going in this man's cell um spraying them with gas you know um beating them slamming them to the ground i think they split his mouth open split his head open and then they drag him out throw him on the bus and they try to take him back to pelican bay 
Um, it was an illegal uh, kidnapping because along the way to Pelican Bay, the warden called and told the, the guards, you know, bring that guy back. What are you doing? So it was the IGI. The IGI is the investigative gang unit, uh, gang in, in investigators. And, you know, they're basically a gang themselves. And, and what they do is they target um, the oppressed nations, um, you know, mostly the oppressed nations uh, prisoners. And that's who was in shoe was 80% Rasa, but they, they target other prisoners as well. And, you know, they, they everything is labeled gang because that justifies their abuse, as in this case with uh, this gentleman where they went into his cell, beat him, drug him out, took him on the bus. And, you know, that's kidnapping. So if, if I were to do that to somebody, you know, they give me life in prison for kidnapping. But they can do it at any time. Nothing happens to them. They don't even get written up for it. And so that just tells you, um, you know, how much uh, lenient, you know, how much leeway they have. They could basically, you know, um, they have license to kill in, in prison and outside of prison. But prison is more extreme. So, yeah, that that was a hor horrible story um, event. And it happens a lot. It happens more time. That's just one article that we wrote. But that's been happening, you know, um, for, you know, decades to, to people. So, but... Um, yeah, it's horrible that they do that, especially the people who were attempting to, um, you know, struggle together and to coexist behind enemy lines. And um, and the guards don't like this coexistment. You know, they don't like it uh, when the lumpen organizations coexist because then um, they're presenting a united front. Uh, and who is the united front against? It's against the state. This is what they don't like. So, you know, um, it means that there's a line between them and prisoners. They like prisoners to be divided and to, you know, kill each other and to, um, you know, uh, give them job security and give them more jobs and give them hazard pay and, you know, all of that. But, but let me get to this. Um, let me get to this interview. This is a very important interview. Uh, you know, um, the compañero here he has a lot of um, insight and in, in different things that have surpassed over the years. And, you know, just history in general. And so I think it's very, very important. So let me get to this interview. And my first uh, question I have for you, compañero, is how long have you been involved in the liberation movement? Yes, that's a, a good place to start, camarada. Um, let me say again, you know, I'm privileged uh, to be here with you on Poor People's Radio on this program, Free Atslan because we have to remain steadfast and resolute in terms of struggling for the national territory, which we refer to as Atslan. Uh, and it's extremely important today on May 7th, uh, just a couple days after Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. And it's important to talk about May 5th very briefly because it, was an, it is an important historical victory of the Mexicano people against foreign invaders against the French who were trying to take over Mexico because of an alleged foreign debt. And we need to commemorate that as an anti-imperialist victory of our people, not as a Cinco de Drinco de Mayo or, you know, uh, get out there and, you know, drink the margaritas and do this and do that and forget about the true revolutionary character of that activity. It's the same thing that the state tries to do to a lot of our different other 
actions, events, and cultural um, significant historical events such as that. And so you asked me how long I've been involved in the struggle of our people. Um, I think that since like the early 70s, the late 70s, um, I started off as a farm worker. You may not believe it by looking at me and stuff and saying, yeah. But yeah, I was born and raised in Gilroy. And like for the first 18 years of my life, I lived in Gilroy. And in the summers, we would go pick prunes, we'd pick cherries, we'd pick you know, tomatoes and the chicharros, and we'd go out in the fields and help support the family. Uh, I'm the eldest of nine kids. And wow. Yeah, and I was just talking to, to Lupe right here that I went to college, and it was a trip, because I went to college because a couple of recruiters from San Jose State came to Gilroy High School, and we were having an assembly, and they were talking about college and education and the community and the raza and stuff. You know, and I thought, well, shit, why not? I'll give it a shot. I can apply. And I did. And it was the school that I went to. And so once I got to uh, San Jose State, because it was called San Jose State College at the time, um, I became involved with the student struggle, with the student movement, with Mecha. It had just Mm. become Mecha, which was real significant and important. It wasn't MEPA at the time, right? It It wasn't wasn't MEPA. No, no, no. (laughs) No, not at all. We can talk about that if you'd like. We'll we'll get to that later. No, it's interesting because in, in, in San Jose, like in other colleges and universities, the student movement moved in a direction and evolved in a, what we would consider today a very progressive direction. I mean, it went from C, which was the student initiative, to MASC, the Mexican-American Student Confederation, to Mecha in conformity with the Plan de Santa Barbara and the rest of the student chapters, you know, around uh, Atlanta, around the nation that were de- that were developing and evolving and growing. And the thing it was that was important was that the student movement then was about being a part of the national liberation struggle. And it said, yeah, we are clearly identified as being Chicano, and we are struggling for the liberation of Atslan. Yeah. And we are, going, we are contributing our knowledge, our, you know, our education, towards the liberation of Atslan. And I think that was important. And so there, you know, when I was in college, I worked on the UFW uh, boycott campaigns. I remember going into the Safeways and smashing up, wow. you know, the uvas, the grapes <laughs> yeah, and stuff yeah, and saying, hey, you can't be yeah, selling this stuff and just, oh, you know, dealing with it like that Absolutely. and going to different stores and handing out leaflets, encouraging people not to buy, not to mm-hmm. shop, you know, blah, 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 right? So that was, was like the beginning of the, of the evolution of, the, of my politics there. And I also worked along with some camaradas. Uh, uh, we had a little committee. And we put out a little newsletter discussion document. It was eventually called Liberación. And it was called, what did another time it was called La Familia de la Raza. And we were putting out um, what we considered, you know, cutting edge uh, theoretical uh, little arguments or little pieces to say, you know, why it was important for la raza to get involved, why we had to support. Uh, the Vietnamese and opposed the Vietnam War, you know, trying to just mobilize and stuff. And so that I became involved with that. And then in the late 70s, 
uh, I met uh, Ricardo Romero, who at that time was the national coordinator of the Movimiento de Liberación Nacional, which I later joined. And the Movimiento de Liberación Nacional, we are an anti-imperialist Mexican organization that seeks to work on both sides of the frontera impuesta. We think that the border that they have imposed on our people is like the song says, right? We didn't cross the border, the borders crossed us. And so it's important for us to unite our struggling forces, our struggling peoples on both sides of this false border to create a a new world, to participate in creating the new world for um, humanity, right? And so those were where, where I got started. And then, you know, from there I met like Puerto Ricans and I met Venezuelans. So I became even more of an anti-imperialist, an internationalist. You know, I learned about Fidel and Che and Santucho in Argentina and a bunch of other folks, you know, and said, yeah, you know, it's like we got to struggle here. We have to put our little grain of sand to help build a new world. And so that's where my politics have, have evolved from. And in the last period of time, I was working, I was in Los Angeles, and I was a part of the National Chicano Moratorium Committee from about 1990 to about 2015. And every year in Los Angeles, until, until today, we were organizing annual commemorations of the historic 1970. Uh, National National Chicano March against the war in Vietnam and for self-determination. And it's interesting because part of that march was like supporting the Vietnamese people. But it was also to say, hey, you know, the police are killing us every day. The migra is deporting us. And we look at, you know, we're not in, we're not being admitted to colleges and universities, et cetera, et cetera. And we look around, we're still being denied housing, we're still being denied adequate medical care and attention. The police are still killing us. The INS is still deporting us. You know, so we're saying that 50 years later, the material conditions which affect our people have not really changed that much. And we need to continue to struggle. We need to continue to organize. We need to continue to be clear as to who the enemy is and how it is that we can struggle and how it is that we're going to eliminate these problems which confront our people. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I agree. And you were talking earlier, you mentioned how, you know, they, um, the state likes to take um, some of our struggles and, you know, and, and basically appropriate them, you know, just like they do to the black nation. They appropriate uh, Martin Luther King and, you know, they even try to appropriate Malcolm X when it's convenient for them, but this is what they do is they'll take any struggle, any one of our struggles and appropriate it and then try to uh, put the American, um, you know, costume on it and sell it, you know, as one of their uh, accomplishments. But, you know, um, and that that was a lot of uh, history you gave us right there. Uh, yeah, what you're saying is very true, is very true. And, like, I mean, I think they put Malcolm X... Or was it Martin Luther King? I know they put Ruben Salazar on a U.S. postal stamp, you know. So it's like they're co-opting these heroes. They're co-opting these leaders, right? And they're saying, see, we're open to everybody. And they're really taking away 
After the they significance. Murder him, right? Pardon me? After they murder him, then yeah. they uh, take him away. So. Yep, they take away the historical significance of these individuals, two people's struggles. And you mentioned Ruben, and for our audience, for those of you out there in Atzlan who may not be aware of who Ruben Salazar is, you need to do your history. You need to do your research. Este, Ruben Salazar was one of the four people that was killed in 1970 at the Chicano Moratorium March in East LA, Los Angeles. By the way, it was the largest demonstration against the Vietnam War at the time. There were between 25 and 30,000 people. And it's important because People from throughout Atlan came. People from Colorado came, from Nuevo Mexico, from Texas, from Arizona. And so it had a national character because it was nationally, we were saying, as a people, we oppose the war in Vietnam. We, we support the Vietnamese people in their struggle for self-determination because it's similar to our struggle here. So if you look it up, if you look up Ruben Salazar, you will see that he was a reporter for the LA Times and for television station in Los Angeles, Channel 34, KMEX. So he was a well-known journalist. I'm not saying he was a revolutionary by no means, but he was a well-known figure. He was writing a lot of op-ed pieces about the struggle of Chicano-Mexicano people and what you know we were struggling for at the time. It's also important to mention because that two Brown Berets were killed on that day. Lynn Ward and Angel Diaz. Angel Diaz was a 16-year-old beret who was shot and killed by the LAPD sheriffs. And so we think it's important to remember that, hey, we got martyrs in our movement too. And these are just, you know, people who died here in California. But in Colorado, there are other martyrs. In New Mexico, there were other folks. You know, in New Mexico, black berets were killed who were doing leading work around prison injustice, as you were mentioning in the beginning, they were you know, denouncing the New Mexico state authorities for their violence against prisoners in New Mexico and stuff. So there's a long history of struggle for our people. I mean, and this is just from the 1970s, because our struggle goes back mm-hmm. from the occupation, from 1836, 1848. Mm-hmm. Our people have resisted um, white settlers have resisted the colonization and resisted the theft of our lands um, in the South. And what's, what y'all recognize as the Southwest is really, we, we just refer to them now as occupied territories. But these occupied territories, people, Mexicanos, Mexicanas, have resisted in different forms. Um, there was armed struggle and there was electoral struggle. And all of it was to, f- to defend the land, to defend our access to water, to defend our access to salt. Um, and you can read about this in, the hist- in some history books. And that's why you need Chicano and Chicana studies to understand our history, to know what's been going on. It isn't all John Wayne and, you know, all this other stuff that they try to pass off to us. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, no. I, I could go on. You know, no, I need no, to let no. you ask questions real quick. We actually, we actually covered the second question in, in that. Um, so it's good. It's, we're moving along. But and I was, that was about the Chicano Moratorium. You talked about that, and um, you know, and that was an anti-imperialist march, even though some may not have known that at the time. But it, you know, it certainly was against imperial war. You know, the U.S. war on Vietnam. And um, but anyway, let me get to the third question because we kind of covered that, and then we're starting to run out of time. So let me get to this: um, What does national liberation mean to you? 
uh, okay, what does it mean? Actually, the question should be, what does it mean to our people, not just me individually? But that's we could deal with it in what in in that way. National liberation obviously talks is like liberation. Liberation of what? Liberation of a nation, of a nationality, of a grouping of people. Just as we say that the Vietnamese people were fighting for national liberation, they were fighting so they could have their independent nation. As they could have their nation as an independent nation free from control by the French or by the U.S. imperialists or the U.S. economy. So to us, national liberation means that we are struggling for land. We are struggling for land and independence. We are struggling for the land which the occupiers, the white settler colonialist occupiers, took over beginning in 1836, continuing through 1846 to 1848, which... Mexicans call it the U.S. invasion. Here it's called the U.S.-Mexico War. But if we look at it closely, we'll see that the U.S. in fact invaded Mexico. They invaded Veracruz. They invaded Monterey. They went into Mexico City. They went into Santa Fe, which was a regional capital at the time. They came into Stockton and to San Jose, which were also, you know, capitals of the state of California, the territory of California. So we see that it was an invasion. So what we're saying is that we need to struggle beyond just reforms, beyond electoral politics, beyond having mad, being mad, um, and I mean by mad, people in Texas to identify themselves as Mexican-American Democrats. Um, no, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to bring any real significant change to the majority of our people. That's why we believe that we need to struggle to control our land, to control the natural resources, to control the economy, and to create a better world for the working class. And so that's why we believe that we need to, to organize and struggle by any means necessary to recuperate the land which was stolen from us as Mexican peoples in the, those wars of invasion by the United States. And we recognize that there are other issues that have to be resolved along the way. One primarily being the relationship with Native American nations. And we have no problem organizing, working, and talking with them. In fact, we've worked with AIM, the American Indian Movement in the past, to coordinate our different struggles and to coordinate actions for the liberations of our peoples. You know, But unfortunately, those relationships uh, fell apart. But we still need to reach out to the Native American community because if you look at history, you'll know that the Spaniards didn't bring that many women. They didn't. So, like, where do we come from? Well, some say that we're mestizos, and, you know, like we're half-breeds. We're part Spaniards and part indigenous. And, and then there's a third line that says, yeah, don't forget the African people because there was Africans in Mexico too. They were there, they are to, there today. They're called Afro-Mexicanos, you know, and they identify as Afro-Mexicanos. They say, yeah, we're Mexicans, but we're Africans too, you know. And so, so like that's like a third root of the Mexican people. A lot of us don't claim it or don't talk about it, but it's there. But yeah, we are indigenous people and you, we, they could say, ah, oh, you don't practice and you don't do this and you don't do that. And we say, yeah, that's true. That's colonialism. It's like we were just talking. They've been erasing our culture. They've been erasing murals. Murals in the, like from the 60s and the 70s. There's one right here in San Jose. 
And, well, I'm, I'm sorry, down in San Jose, there's one in San Jose that they just eliminated the mural de la raza. And there's a committee grouping of people, Chicanos and Chicanas, and we're saying, hey, we need to restore this mural. And then there's another mural in Los Angeles that was also just destroyed. Um, a, a mural that dates back to the Olympics in 1984. It was done by Barbara Carrasco. And it shows a woman crossing a, a finish line, you know. And so she did it out of, like, you know, honor for being a female and stuff. And Metro, which is the Los, An the Los Angeles County equivalent of the um, light rail, they just authorized it to be painted over. And so, like, this has been there for 30 years, right? And uh, who cares about the law that says you got to tell the, yeah, the yeah. artist? No. They just they said, screw it. They don't go and by and their, their line, their excuse was, well, there was actually too much graffiti on it. You couldn't really see what it was about. So that's why they, they whited it out. They whited it out. Yeah, I mean, how much, you know, like, the, the gentrifiers, man. It's like they whited it out. Yeah. White out, you know. Literally. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> figuratively <laughs> so anyway that brings me to my next question uh you know speaking of widening things out who is the oppressor nation aha uh -huh. well you know I bring, it reminds me of a poem a poem that we printed one time in our the little pamphlet called liberation and the poem t was titled the only thing wrong and it was goes something along the lines of like the only thing wrong with the gavachos is they're overpaid, they're overfed, and they're over here, you know. <laughs> but like in a way, see, that's really those were more like our cultural, cultural uh, nationalist days. But yeah, that that's right, they're over one. here. See, we could just say that that it's white people but it's like a white settler colonial people that are the problem but e but then we go a little deeper and we see that it's an economic system that it's an economic system of exploitation of the working class it's an exploitation of man by man of, of woman by man etc so that we see that the enemy of our people is the white settler colonialists the, and their descendants, the folks who came over on the Mayflower, the folks who came over and invaded Mexico, the folks who came over and invaded Santa Fe, and you know, in and and Texas, you know, it's like we're not. Def I don't defend uh, Kit Carson and all those other clowns at the Alamo. I defend the Mexican peoples who are saying, "Hey, get the bank out," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and so. The, the enemy of our people is, is the, 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 the United States nation as such, right? I mean, you break it down and it's deeper, but we can just say that it's the United States na as a nation. Because think about it, Jose. Mm. What do you, as, as a brown person, have in common with someone in Maine? Someone in Maine. Not a damn thing. That's correct. <laughs> and see, that shows you like a, the contradiction. That shows you it's like, how is it that we, we talk about we're all one, one people and lovey-dovey and blah, blah, blah. But, and so as human beings, yeah, we're all human beings, right? But you, we can't say that the United States is a really consolidated, federated nation. It's more... Uh, term that I thought was original to us, but I understand that it was back in the Russian times as well, is that, the, that the United States is a confederation of captive nations 
right? For us, it's it's the Native American nations, the Puerto Rican nation, the Mexican nation, the Chicano Mexicano nation, if you will, or the Chicano nation, and of course, we cannot forget the African, the New African nation. You know that all of these nations is a, that the United States is but a prison house of mm-hmm. all these nations. It talks about all of our people. All of our respective peoples across the board, across the class. It's like all black people are subject to the United States government. All black people are colon are, are still subject to colonialism. Hell, we all get pulled over for, for for what? For nothing? For driving without a license? But how do they know we don't have a license until they actually do a search? And if you know, before they get to the search, they've already tasered us or they've thrown us to the ground. I was just watching some news earlier today where they threw a young lady. Oh, yeah. To the ground, a cop. You know, and oh. I mean, it was uh, it, they had it on the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was uh, the moms or one of the other yeah. people was filming it. Cop yeah. took pick. Uh, you saw where she was like picked up in the air and thrown down. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there was the idea of of Sandra Bland, young black woman, killed. Well, she was she was found hung in the jail cell in Texas, right? And years. Like four years later, she had filmed the whole incident. The, when the cop pulled her over and stopped her, she had her video camera, the, the phone, and she was filming it. Did the did the state pull it out? No. And the cop got off free. Oh yeah, yeah. I I I swear I won't work for another police department. And that was his only punishment, right? Young black woman who was involved with the Black Lives Matter, she was pulled over on a jump charge. Well, you didn't signal when you were turning. And so then, you know, they put her in jail, and the next thing they know, she, they say, well, we found her hung, strangled by herself. She said, yeah, right. And this video is just coming to light, and it shows what happened for her before, before her arrest, and it puts the lie to what, you know, the, the police had said. They, and they didn't release it. The district attorney had it, and they didn't release it in time. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I just, I'd like to end that question with, you know, America is the white nation. So there is no such thing as a black American, as a brown American, as an Asian American, because America means equals the white nation. We are not Americans. And I just want to say that for the listeners. Some people are confused. We grow up in these brainwashed schools. They tell us we're American. Salute this colonizers flag and that's not the case we are not americans but let me just before we go into a break we're going to take a break and listen to a song very special song but i just want to squeeze this last question in real quick so we could get because we're already on the half hour mark what is the movimiento liberacion nacional yes thank you well I could talk for days on this, brother. I could talk on I anything. Know. You know, drop a hat when I'm gone. No, mira, the movimiento, the movimiento de liberación nacional, we originated back in like 1977, 1978 as an organization of anti-imperialist Mexicans and Puerto Ricans. And it was like unity of Puerto, the largest Puerto, the Spanish-speaking folks in the United States, the Puerto Ricans and the Mexicans. Mm to support, to mutually support each organization, you know, like we would support the Puerto Rican independence struggle and they would support the Chicano-Mexicano struggle for self-determination, right? Um, our leadership went to jail because they were investigating in the, the FALN, the Forces Armadas de Liberación Nacional, an armed clandestine Puerto Rican organization. They claimed 
Oh, y'all are recruiting for these peoples. Y'all supplying them. Uh, mm. Prove it. And we are not talking shit. We ain't, you know, we'll go to jail behind this stuff. We don't, we're not telling you nothing. You ain't, you ain't going to use us for your witch hunt. And so people went to, our leaderships went to jail several times. In the mid-80s, the, we had a, a, a parting of the ways, if you will. The Puerto Ricans went off and did their thing. And the, the Mexicanos in the MLN, we continued doing our work as anti-imperialists in the Mexican community. And we're developing the struggle amongst Mexicano, against Chicano-Mexicano people here in the occupied territories for national liberation. But we also see that it's important to reunite Mexico. And not everybody agrees. But we believe that the struggle for Mexican people is for the reunification of the Mexican nation under socialism. So we support socialist movements, socialist organizations in the South, which we call the South, in the South, the dependent capitalist state of the South, to help move the struggle forward towards socialism while here in the North, in the occupied territories, we struggle for human and civil and democratic rights. But we believe that it's got to go beyond that and leads us to the next question because we believe that we have to struggle for socialism as well. Mm. And so we participate, like say for instance, supporting the UFW or supporting the Texas farm workers because we believe that those those struggles for human rights should be supported and should be defended and should be expanded. But we know that the struggles for socialism, it goes much more beyond just getting boycotting the grapes boy yeah. you know like that and so Absolutely. we could go on but I'll, we should take a break yeah. i think or yeah we're gonna take a break and uh, we're gonna listen to a song right now uh we're gonna be back in a few minutes so let's kick on back and uh check out this song uh right now This is KEXU 96.1 FM. I'm JV, and you're listening to Free Aslan. So we, we just came back from a short break. You know, we played a little bit of this song, and, um, you know, we're kind of short on time, so we're going to proceed with the interview. Um, and so let me see. So the next, uh, and, and by the way, I'm back here with uh, my guest, uh, Guillermo Tlacayotzin. Uh, of the Chicano Mexicano resistance, and hopefully we got time to talk about that as well. But let me get to this next question. Very important. Um, a lot of people they 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 hear about different struggles, and they might even hear about the liberation movement in various oppressed nations uh, who struggle uh, here and in, uh, in these false U.S. borders. But for um, you know. I'm interested in what what um, Guillermo has to say about this one, you know, and and how it pertains to raza, 
And my question is, how does socialism play into the national liberation movement? Yeah, well, I think that we think that socialism is key. Socialism is very important to the future of our struggles, the future struggles of all oppressed peoples. So that all oppressed peoples have to struggle for socialism because we cannot just replace um, white capitalism with brown capitalism or with black capitalism, if you will, or Asian capitalism or transsexual capitalism, right, or women's capitalism. Capitalism is the core of the problem. Capitalism is the enemy of all of humanity. And so we need to work to create a new economic and social system that's based on socialism. And so that's why we believe you know, we struggle. We, we as the as the MLN, we struggle for national liberation and socialism. So that's why we say we struggle for a socialist reunification in Mexico. But and and see, we learned from the Vietnamese, if you will, that, and we learned this from a Mexican guerrillero, who said to us, "You know that the struggle of the Mexican people is like the struggle of the Vietnamese people in that there are two fronts to this struggle." In Vietnam, in the North, the people were struggling for socialism. In the South, they were struggling for self-determination, human rights, national liberation. They wanted to kick out the invader, right? Here in Mexico, in the North, y'all are struggling for human rights, self-determination, national liberation. Those of us down here in the southern half of the, Me of the nation are fighting for socialism because the guerrilleros, that's what they do. They're fighting for socialism. They wish to change the economic system in Mexico. And so Florencio Huero Medrano told us, look, you have to organize the people there around the conditions in the occupied territories. But don't forget us. You have to support the struggle for socialism. Socialism is... It's easy to say, but socialism is the new idea that create on a new economic system where we eliminate the exploitation of humanity by humanity. To put it in those real broad terms, right? Um, it was, but now we need to say, hey, yeah, we want to stop the exploitation of man by man, as was originally written, but we also need to be careful and watch how human beings exploit Mother Earth exploit the land, exploit the water and the oil. We see that there's plastic showing up in, in um, whales and other animals, and we see how the Arctic circles are being melted down and stuff. And so today's socialism has to take into account, Mother Earth has to take into account the planet. Uh, if we don't take care of the planet who takes care of us, then in the future there's going to be nothing for anybody and that's not something that has to be that we should support. And so we we think that socialism has to be built on the specific conditions of a people and that it's not something that is going to be imported from another country. Um, so we look and we see that yes, you know, there's socialism in Cuba, in Venezuela, right? But that doesn't meet our conditions. It doesn't necessarily address the situations faced by the Chicano-Mexicano people here. And so the socialism that we propose and advocate is something that's built organically, that comes out of our conditions, that comes out of our reality. And it's a question of 
Um, the Zapatistas say, you know, todo para todos, everything for everybody. We, we agree with that. Everything, people should have housing, education, a job, adequate jobs, or maybe, you know, we'd get to the point where people don't have to work that often, right? But we think that it's a question of providing for the majority of the people and not for a minority of the people who are the, the rich 1%, as it used to be said a couple of years ago. Mm, yeah, beautiful. And I think it's important as well to, you know, when when people are struggling in this way to um, be able to identify the, like you said, it has to be distinct to uh, a certain people, a certain nation. And um, in order to do that, I think that people have to study the contradictions in society and understand what are the principal contradictions um, what are the secondary contradictions in order to know um, what to focus the forces on and etc so you know because um, you know like you said the conditions the principal contradiction in one country may be a little different than uh, the contradictions that we face here in these false US borders as well but um, and I think that was a good, um, you know, um, example you gave uh, of Vietnam. It was very interesting, uh, North and South. Uh, very interesting uh, example you gave. But um, let me, you know, because we're getting short on time here, so let me move on. We got about 20 minutes or so. Let me uh, move on to this next question. Um, and this is very important. I was talking to somebody um, um, earlier today and, and, and I was saying that I was going to interview you and you know one of the listeners had um, asked me to pose the question uh, they thought it was uh, interesting I agreed um, so this is coming from one of the listeners wanted to know um, how has the movement changed from when you first became politically active to today that's a, that's, that's a good question as as we look at it, and I'm sure that you and others understand this, things are not, um, how should we say this, are not like, that things are always in constant motion. Things are constantly changing. So that things are not, uh, that material conditions are not static. So that what happened 10 years ago isn't necessarily happening today. There's been an evolution from 10 years ago to today. There's been an evolution from the late 60s, early 70s to today, 2019. Um, there, there's been like it ebbs and flows of the movement. But the, even then, we say that there's two movements then. There's like the, the, the movement for democratic and human rights and the revolutionary movement, those of us who want to go beyond that. And both of those movements, if you will, are like on a ebb. They're retreating or they're withdrawing at this point. Not like consciously, but it's just not as fervent, it's not as upfront as it was in the past. Um, I mean, because if we could look at it and say, okay, where are the farm workers? Where's, is there like a farm worker struggle? No. I mean, there, there's struggles... But we're not, it's not as big an issue. It's not out there. Um, the, the, the farm workers out of uh, Florida, the, the Milwaukee, I think they're called, 
they're calling for a boycott of Wendy's because uh, over the, the price of the tomato. But that's not a movement that's really gaining a lot of support or is gaining a lot of strength. There's a farm worker movement in, in Baja California, the campesinos, but that also doesn't have... San Quintin, right? Yeah. yeah, and that also doesn't have a lot of support. So we see that that is like, you know, uh, ebbing, that the, move, the social movement, the movement for um, equality... Uh, isn't as fervent, isn't as upfront, isn't isn't pushing, and even the revolutionary organizations amongst our people are not out. They're few. They're very few. They're not that many anymore that we could count upon that that were out there. And so, but like I say, it's not like conditions are static. We have to adapt to the changing conditions, and it seems as if. The movement in general is in a, is in retreat or is in an, you know on an ebb, and we need to to look at it and understand the conditions today, and be able to address it. For instance, uh, I don't know if you were going to go there, but the student that the Mexicans, the Chicano student movement, recently has proposed changing its name, mm. and some of us are <clears throat> developed out of the move that movement, right? And we look like negatively upon this proposed name change because it does two things for, from our perspective. One, it negates the national character or national identity of us as a people, who we are, and it also negates the idea of Aztlan, the national territory. And so while we don't agree with it, it's like, oh man, what happened then is that the revolutionary forces didn't pass on the revolutionary history, didn't pass on the revolutionary traditions to the younger students, to the next upcoming generations, because it's the idea is that we need to pass the struggle, the idea, the concepts on to the younger generation so they can come up and they're going to develop it the way they see it. But we have to point them in the direction. We can't just say, all right, y'all do it now, whatever you want to do. And that leads to confusion. It leads to... Uh, you know, saying that we're exclusive, that we're not including people, but we're talking about the new man, the new woman. We're talking about a new economic system. We're talking about a nation of people uh, to defeat the U.S. imperialists. And, you know, and, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's something that's out there and that we're looking at and that we're trying to understand it. And like I say, to us... It negates the national character of us as a people, and it negates the national question. It negates the national territory, and we think that those are very negative. Um, I mean, we, but we don't want to be conservative and say, well, no, things should not change. I mean, we understand the student movement evolved. It went through changes. Uh, the different groups called themselves different things, and then they became one, supposedly, Mecha, right? And now it's changing to other names, and... We don't know where it's going because they haven't totally decided yet. But the thing is, it change has to be progressive. It has to be moving the struggle forward. It can't um, go back. You know, it can't go back and say, "Well, you know, we're all Americans now." It's like to say, uh, uh, "I hate to say this, but it's like all lives matter, right?" takes away the revolutionary character of black lives matter. It takes it away. It's to say, oh, well, forget about years of colonialism, forget about the slavery, forget about all this stuff. We're all human beings. 
Your life matters. My life matters. That's what it's about. I mean, to say that all lives matter or blue lives matter, yeah, in a bigger sense, as human beings, all of our lives are important. But to take away from Black Lives Matters because it's exclusive is to take away the, na the character of it as a struggle for justice, as a struggle for uh, decolonization, if you want, you know. And so, and the other thing that we were considering or looking at and trying to actually figure out how to say it without people stepping on people's toes is that neither, neither sex nor sexuality defines us as a nation, as a people. And what do I mean? We mean by sex, you know, whether you're male or female, right, which are the two predominant sexes, if neither, neither one of those defines us. And our sexuality, if we're trans, if we're gay, if we're lesbian, if we're bisexual, if we're asexual, because that's another grouping, right? None of those sexuality groupings is a nation or makes us a nation or defines the nation, a nation. And so we think that to raise those issues is important in the struggle for equality, but it's not enough to change us as a people to challenge our national identity. They're not coming forth with a new national identity to say, you know, hey, uh, we're lesbian Mexicans. And so, like, I'm going to go around saying I'm a lesbian Mexican. Uh, no, I'm not. I mean, it's like today in Honduras. Lesbian Honduran w women, I don't know it's redundant, but lesbians, Honduran, Honduran lesbians are getting killed. Yeah. They're getting killed because they're Hondurans and because they're lesbian. But they don't go around saying, hey, we're lesbians and we want that to be predominant. We're, they, they come out and say, we are Hondurans who happen to be lesbian. Mm. And you're killing us because you disagree with our sexual orientation. But they're not trying to say, just to identify no. us as Hondurans is exclusive. Yeah. You know, and so that still has to be developed. And I'm, you're looking confused or wondering what's happening. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with the struggle that's taking place in Mecha. Mecha yeah. is the Movimiento Estudiantil Chicano de Atzlan develops out of the 70s. Now, there was a recent national, supposedly, well, it was a national conference. I'm not going to editorialize, but I will that it was, took place in Southern California, they voted to change their name. The organization voted to change their name, saying that to talk about Chicano was exclusive because they kept out Salvadorians, Hondurans, Hondurans, uh, Peruvians, etc. And no, I don't buy the argument, but I understand. But it went a little deeper to say it excludes gay people. It excludes lesbian people. It excludes transgender folks. It excludes quest, uh, queer folks because you're using a term that's male-centered. So we want to change it. So various organizations, chapters, voted to change the name, take away the name from Mecha to name it something different. They haven't come up with a different name yet because they said that their committee that come up with the name would have a follow-up meeting to discuss the, the name change and what they would become. Um, some people have put, put forth memes, you know, in terms of what it's going to be called and stuff. But, yeah. yeah it's, but it's so... It's horrible, yeah. They want to change the name, but, and I, but as we say, 
that takes away the character. Takes, for us, it takes away the revolutionary character of, that, of the movement. But you see, yeah. we, we go back then to say, but you know, things evolve. Yeah, they but wait, evolve. But and I just the, add, student, the yeah. student movement, it's only a sector. It should only, only be a sector, sector Absolutely. of the student movement, which Absolutely. is only a sector of the national movement of our people. Right. And so Absolutely. people, we got to understand that. Yeah. That, you know, and, and, and I'll just add to that, you know, that, you know, I remember when I was uh, imprisoned and um, I used to get the uh, UCLA newspaper called La Gente de Aslan. And I remember um, this is about, I don't know, eight years ago where they dropped Aslan. And when they dropped, I got the paper in the mail and I said, what the hell is La Gente? Where, where in the hell is Aslan at? So I wrote an article to the editorial board. And I said, you know what? You guys dropped the name Aslan. What is going on? They got back to me and said, well, you know, um, same. It's almost a blueprint of what they did with Mecha. They said, we felt that having Aslan is not being inclusive to other students who are also a part of Mecha who may not be Chicana Chicano or Mexicano. So um, we felt that we needed to change it. And, and so I wrote, I wrote an article and they pub I believe they published it online, I think. Um, and the article was called, in, it was to um, respond to this change, and it's called Negating Aslan Strengthens Imperialism. And so my argument was um, by taking away Aslan, you're taking away the land question, mm -hmm. you're taking away um, the national uh, territory question, and as a result, you're giving up this land to America. And that's basically what they did because, like you said, they didn't provide another answer to what is this occupied territory. Okay, la gente de occupied territory. That would have even been uh, better than just dropping it all together. They didn't do that. And so this is another way uh, I see. Uh, first of all, when they say that um, Mecha is not inclusive to, you know, um, gay people or, or uh, Asian people or, you know, black people, whoever they're saying, it's like uh, me joining the Black Panthers and then saying, um, let's change the name Black Panthers because they're not inclusive to Chicanos. Well, this is a black organization and that was a Chicano organization. You have no business joining it if you have a problem joining a Chicano organization. What don't you understand about? I just don't understand it. And I believe that that's one of the problems with having an open door policy where you just let everybody and it's a group decision, group vote. That's the problem because guess what happens? You know, you have uh, all these other groups on the other side of campus. Hey, let's get together, 50 of us, and let's join, or 100 of us, let's join Mecha, and then let's vote their name out of existence. And that's exactly what happens. So you have to have uh, rules. You have to have, uh, um, you know, uh, principle, uh, cardinal principles, cardinal questions that cannot be dissolved under any circumstances or the organization dissolves. You have to have those in place because that's the Trojan horse that'll happen. People join by, right. you know, the hundreds and vote you out of existence. Yeah. And that's what happened. But we're already, uh, we have uh, four more minutes. So we're going to try to squeeze in one last question. We're not even going to finish all the questions, but let me just say, um, you know, um, let me get this. Uh, why is it important that RASA organize and create revolutionary organizations, committees, 
and cadre orgs for our community. And I guess this could be applied to any oppressed nation, but I'm speaking to you, your Rasa. I would like, because the listeners are, this is Rasa uh, listeners, so why is it important for Rasa to organize in these revolutionary groups, organizations, committees? I don't know if I can cover it in four minutes, because I, I wanted to I go know, back know, and know, say, know. you know, it's like what you were saying, see, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, say it. And so I'm not going to join it and say, hey, can we talk about brown people too? I mean, it's legit, but it's like the nature, the purpose of Black okay. Lives Matter is to promote black struggle, is to talk about, hey, you can't just go around killing us because we're black. And we, I, that's exactly right. You can't do that. But I also think you can't do it to us because we're Asian. And so maybe I need to create an Asian organization that says, hey, we're sister organizations to the Black Lives Matter. We Absolutely. struggle together. You know, I'm not going to join them and say, change the name. Change the name. Because I recognize, right? Yeah. Now, it's important for us to create revolutionary organizations because revolutionary organizations provide clarity, provide us a, with a leadership and with a direction. And I'm going to have to cut it off. But the, the revolutionary organizations are key to guide the revolution, to lead the revolutionary people forward. We can't just leave it up to Democrats. We can't just leave it up to the human rights struggle. We can't just leave it up to civil rights. We need to be clear on a revolutionary perspective, put that out, and encourage and organize other peoples to follow the revolutionary line, if you will. And mm. so we'll leave it there shortly mm. so that... We don't go over time. Absolutely. Well, I, I had a... I can come back. Yeah, and, and you, of <laughs> course you are going to come back. And, and you know, um, you know, and, and, you know, the last question I, I wanted to ask, we don't have uh, enough time for it, but, you know, it was a very good question on liberation and um, how the Rasa would liberate ourselves from America because, you know, America, as I said, is the white nation. We are not Americans. And we need to separate ourselves in, in independence uh, from this uh, terrorist organization. But I'm going to leave it right there for now. And I want to thank uh, our guest, uh, compañero. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very uh, welcome. You will I... come back yes, again. Sir. You will come back again. And, um, you know, um, and I thank you for being on Free Aslan. Yes, and Free Aslan. Free Aslan. Free the territories. Free the occupied territories. And this is KEXU 96.1 FM, and uh, this is JV, and you are listening to Free Aslan.